We acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Turrbal and the Agra people, and their elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded and flood media is recorded on stolen land. Political scientist Paul Williams, a senior lecturer at Griffith University, said that although the Greens would likely see an increase in their primary vote, it would not be enough to win the inner south seat. Who knows in the future, but not this time, and probably not next time either, he said. (laughs) (laughs) They talk a good game, don't they? (laughs) Dr Williams said. They all say they're going to win Griffith. Well, they're not. (laughs) They will win Brisbane before they win Griffith, and sometime down the track, they may well win Brisbane at a federal and state level, but not this time. The situation now is even worse. Flood is not above the poverty line. Yeah, I mean, why is this always... (laughs) I guess, why does this always happen after elections where the same people who get it rather wrong are often also then given a platform to explain, like, what happened this seems to be happening again and again and again. Surely, like, will they go back to Paul Williams next time? I suppose they will. Mm, there's no one else. He got it so spectacularly wrong, though, right? Like, but like the thing is, when the next <laughs> election comes, they'll want someone to say what they want it to say. Yeah, and so they true. will go back for more of that loser yeah, energy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say, I think there's been a bit of a... Like, I watched... Um, like, there's been a few journos writing me a culpers. Uh, like yeah, I, I think actually best. probably one of the big thing differences in the next council and state elections is when we say we can win something... Like people are going to believe us, uh, <laughs> yeah. certainly in a. Yeah, we're going to win twelve yeah. council seats, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah fuck, that's twenty oh, council shit. seats. Yeah, yeah, twenty. No, we're just going to win a majority easily. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, do we introduce ourselves? There's a lot of us though. Yeah. Yeah, shit. Do we do this? Go on. Yeah, go on. All right, I'm Liam. Why are you here, Liam? Ah, uh, because we won Griffith. Fuck yeah! Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> what'd you do? <laughs> oh, I was campaign manager. That Ooh. was fun. That was uh, 14 months of fun. 15, 16 for me, actually. Okay, we're, next? Going, we're going next. It's Eva. Hi, I'm Eva. Um, and I was doing some organizing things. Some organizing on, things. Some yeah. On organizing. the campaign. Very uh, humble intro there. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> so we're doing clockwise. Uh, hi, I'm Max. Um, I was one of the volunteers on the campaign. Yeah. Yeah, well, so put in some real like hard one. yards on this campaign, I have to you say. You know, I, I thought I contributed. Lead volunteer, Number I would one say. volunteer, yeah, if yeah, anything. Yeah. At, at <laughs> times. At <laughs> times. I think yeah, the Jack maybe take the cover though, the office dog, definitely number one volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm Mel as assistant campaign manager on the campaign. Feels Ooh, good to do a win. Yay. Okay, my name is Ryan. I am just a humble volunteer. Mostly here to remember about the past, like 2016. Anyway, we have some stories. Yes. Also, there's, a, there's also a peanut gallery of people who will pop in. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hello to the peanut gallery out there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're all obviously really energized and just have an enormous amount of energy. But I, 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 will, I, will, say that, um, I will say that obviously, um, as is uh, tradition uh, in... All, all media, both Australian and otherwise, when big political results come, people who have no connection to that result rush to provide mm-hmm. explanations as to mm-hmm. why that happened. As soon um, as possible. Uh, and think it is, it is um, I hope a lot of people listen to this because, you know, sitting in this room is basically a large portion of the people, well, a significant portion of the people that made it happen. But what I think we were discussing off air that uh, we first wanted to deal with a few misconceptions about the Griffith mm-hmm. campaign. And, and, mm-hmm. um, and 
I think a lot of lies. Yeah, a lot of lies. But there's been a lot of love as well. And a lot of love. But and we'll get to the love in the back end. But but we need to start. Yeah, that's right. We need. Alright, what's number one lie? People. People moving from Melbourne one Yes. Yes. I was thinking about that before. It's sort of like, well, why did the Greens vote go up? In Melbourne as well, right? Shit. It's like, oh, well, all of the Greens voters moved up from Melbourne. Well, because well, the people we doorknock moved down to Melbourne. Ah, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was some kind of circular thing going on, a circular economy of, of Greens people. I mean, it's hard to even debunk that because it's so stupid. Yeah. And like... Let's just go next on that one. Honestly. Yeah, I could even just skip that one. Right? I, I think that the only thing to say about that is that it's indicative of a lot of the uh, me- like media analysis of elections, which is increasingly they think it's something that politics is this happens, thing yeah. that just happens. That there are there are Labor voters, there are Liberal voters, there are Greens voters. Everyone's relatively static, and uh, uh, when things change, there is a, res- a result of ex- um, external forces yeah, that act upon conditions. Yeah. demographics. Uh, Dur- right? Dur- yeah, Dur- and demographics is another classic. And that one. was Paul Williams' reason for why Labor should be like Griffiths should be really high Labor seat. It's like, damn, there's a lot of inner city, highly educated people here. Blah blah blah. Should be a Labor seat. Why isn't the Labor seat? There'll probably be a swing to Labor. There we go. Yeah, there just has to be. It's just a law. Well, I thought the YouGov polls was interesting in that sense. Like the entire, it was interesting that they developed a poll that they baked those assumptions Mm. into the model. Mm. Yeah. Like the media, like the concept that you could poll 20,000 people or whatever around the electorate, get their demographics, and then just assume that based on demographics, people Mm. will act a certain way in each electorate. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And in that situation, Labor was supposed to have a 35% primary vote and we were supposed to have a 25% primary vote. Like, that's what that poll said two weeks out from the election. And we were all just like, well, that's just stupid and wrong. But we had to spend, like, explaining (laughs) to our volunteers, like, no, no, don't worry, it's not actually real. And we're extremely vindicated because it was basically the reverse (laughs) of of reality. Maybe they accidentally just put the Labor name. (laughs) That's true. Like a graphic design. Mistake. They're like went out. They're like, oh, oh, we can't oh, pull no. it back now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's too late. But I've been thinking about this, and we should get to this later. I think if they polled the electorate in the most accurate way possible two weeks before the election, it would have showed that we lost because of the raw number of votes we swung in the last two weeks. Yeah, possibly. Like, right. how, like yeah. our strategy works. Our strategy works. I don't think that's the case. Like, I think we were picking up somewhere um, between. The experience was about it was about a month out. Where like where things really started to substantially shift, and I'm sure we can go into mm. lots of reasons why. But that surge we were picking up in our door knocking, yeah, yeah, about a month. I would say it was about yeah, a month totally. Out. And that was like the structural shift beginning to work. But I still think we're going to talk about how really cool pre-poll is later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's wrong. Like genuinely thousands of votes. Yeah, I, absolutely. <laughs> so like that's a couple of percent, right? Like I think. Yeah, anyway. So on. the other one was the youth is what done it. Yeah, the youth, yeah, the the youth, youth moved up Which I don't Melbourne. think was necessary. I don't think that's a lie per no. se. I, I think there's a, there's, there's a substantial amount of truth to that. It's just only part of the story. Yeah, it was definitely the experience on a lot of those booths, right? I drove around to a few booths on election day where it was just like the Greenslopes booth where we got 44% of the primary vote was this remarkable thing just standing there like checking in on volunteers booth captain whatever and then just looking at this queue that was wrapped around the the green slopes church and like 50 percent of it was young people probably under the age of 35 and they were all just clutching a greens how to vote and like impervious to the labor and liberal people like labor people going no you, you gotta vote labor to change the government and they were just just like staunchly holding the green thing so that's that is true to that to like to the extent that it was part of it 
Well, um, I think that yeah. could be true if you're following the Paul Williams model where we could go green then in like 10 years yeah. where that demographic change slowly happens. Well, I, I think the other thing to say about that as well is, you know, there were young people that didn't, a small, actually probably quite a small proportion to be Tiny. honest, of young people that didn't vote for us. Like I think it potentially was up to 80 or 90%. Um, in some areas, yeah. Yeah, and, but I, I think, the, again, it's that surface level demographic stuff and there's no effort to make why. And like why is because the vast majority of young people are renters or, you know, occupy a class and material position for whom they, their material interests are like strongly aligned with capping rent increases or tackling climate change mm. or like and um the you know that politics appeals just as much to someone in that material position who might be 50 as it does who's who's 20 years old and like there's it's funny that you know and i think generation like Keir, is it Keir milburn who wrote generation left does a good job of interrogating this like there's nothing inherently progressive about being young like mm. young people voted for thatcher and we're actually the the demo that that got a her lot elected. of young people in France voting for like Macron and Le Pen, right? Yeah, like big time. Yeah, yeah. Oh. it's you know, and uh, again, like this, um, it's almost just like yeah, if you're young, you vote Greens. Thing is such a misunderstanding of what's going on. I will say though, uh, sorry, this is Joe. I <laughs> said I was going to be a mic, but uh, here volunteer. I am. Volunteer. <laughs> oh, I was kissed on election night. By <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly. I don't. I'm proof. Um, uh, On the young person thing Like yeah I was surprised by the number of young people Who turned up to the booth Who looked like green supporters But turned out to be just undecided Like Mm. I would say Mm, that's where we got a lot of youth Mm. supporters That they were the most undecided And so on election day at my booth In Brisbane State High um, Myself and some of the other people who were talking to voters Started using the line Is it your first time voting? If the person Mm. looked young And they were like Often they were like yes And I don't know what to do Mm, (laughs) Okay cool Well here's what we're about And that was like easy Very So they were If not turning up to the booth Already locked in Greens voters um, very swingable. Just completely non-aligned. Yeah, like they had no stake in the other parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah that I, sort of checks out. Although I also found some young people who didn't have that same disengagement. Like they would read the things and be like, oh, Albanese says he's going to do X and they would have almost no cynicism about that or not reaching that point of some of our mm. older voters who are just so fed up to the gills with politicians yes. and the majors. I think Angry so many of those young people we won just by being the most normal at pre-poll yes. and not being yes. absolute yes. political freaks and Honest- just being like, oh, like how's your day going? This is pretty full on. Hey, um, yeah. Yeah. no one so else true, there is Mel. normal. Yeah. yeah, it's so oh. true. And I think it also speaks to the like formation of our volunteer movement as well, which was like regular, the, yeah, just regular, ordinary like students, nurses, teachers, whatever, retail workers, like you know, people walking in recognized who their people were. Mm. Like, uh, there was a lot like of that going weird on. Weird freak from you know, like student politics. Yeah, yeah but it's like there's just people, <laughs> walk, and you would see them gravitate. To like, because uh, I stood on pre-poll a lot in the last two weeks, and there was this phenomenon where like people would, um, there was some sort of like solidarity just in this, you know, just in a look sometimes mm. yeah, between yeah, yeah. people, and that was played out in all those Reddit comments afterwards, being like, yeah, mm. it was really nice. Like I got accosted <laughs> by someone mm. from one of the major parties, and then I came to the other part of the booth, and it was just nice and relieving just to chat to someone like from the Greens who was just an ordinary person. And it is it is interesting that there was like a form of class solidarity or like some form of solidarity going on, even just on the 
in the very act of just running into each other. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think honestly, that, oh, sorry, you go, Eva. Oh, I just was going to say, I think it's definitely, like, um, a case of, you know, uh, the fact that both major parties, like, their membership base and supporter base um, is not something that they've been able to, like, rejuvenate or, like, mm. fill mm-hmm. out their ranks with Decaying. young people as well. And so, sort of, like, yeah, the, the decay yeah. of the major parties also means that, you know, we are well out in front with the amount of, like, young, energetic like mm. happy to be there, young people. It's kind of true for like um, Labour on the South Side, right? Like it, who would join? It, like it reminds me a little bit, and no offence to some of the trots out there, but like Trotskyist groups <laughs> where it's like you only, attract, you only attract people who really like can't connect to like most everyday people because you're kind of socially irrelevant. Mm. Um, and that's sort of how it does increasingly feel yeah. like Labour is in, in our area and certainly the libs is that like the people who gravitate towards those things are not people who are like, socially kind of capable and integrated you know to put it that way to be fair to them though I met a few nice like genuinely shell-shocked Labour volunteers on the booth well like Like, young people though yeah there was one or two young this guy came up and apologised to me yeah right (laughs) that was Uh, not my experience no I mean like no I think we had a a series of mixed experiences real mixed bag I don't think I've ever met any labour volunteers who aren't who are young who aren't either paid staff or somebody's child Mm. Yeah, Aaron Williams boots types, right? Um, They're looking for a job desperately. <laughs> but uh, lest we lest we fall too far into negativity, yeah, what, what yeah, was yeah. the other misconception about? Well, um, I think that what well, what really did it for me around age was the fact that we had that like the Nana vote was yeah. like wild for us. We yeah. had two or three weeks in our office once. Actually, it was four or five. Like as soon as the election was called. And maybe probably a week in because we got our first wave or two of like quite, you know, comprehensive materials out to people, which had all our policies and a broad campaign message. And of course, we've been door knocking massively in areas where there were like a lot of old people, like Holland Park, South particularly, like along the sort of more out, like still fairly inner burbs compared to like, you know, the actual outer burbs, but outer burbs for this electorate. There were so many old people that were door knocking, people in public housing, you know, particularly poor old older people who were calling the office going, how do I vote? How do I, can you help me with the postal vote? I want to vote for, for the Greens for the first time. I'm really excited by it. And then when we interrogated, like, why, we had um, Louisa here, this, like, angel, like, oh, nana whisperer, blessed. who was just, like, sit and have a nice 20-minute chat with them about why they decided to vote Greens. And so we got incredible deep intel on that. And it was just all sorts of just basic good shit. It was like, well, firstly, you're the only person who's come to knock on my door and listen to me and take me seriously. You know, no one's taken me seriously since I've been retired. Mm. So I'm completely forgotten and not listened to. And then it was just broad-based, like, social democratic politics and universalist politics. Oh, you've got stuff that actually would benefit my life, you know, Well, and I think, yeah, I mean, the other thing as well is that one of the epidemics, like, socially going on at the moment is a sense of, like, loneliness Mm-hmm. And social isolation mm-hmm. and alienation. And I think the number of times that we you would just end up having a chat with people who would... I think it was genuinely just, like, a nice like bit of like almost social work where you yeah. were just you're just hanging out you're just hanging out and having a chat like the number of times i got invited in just for like a chat was very nice it'd be nice to cut in if we can the ros call um and at this point but here in queensland it may well be pauline hansen clive palmer uh it might be a minor party it might be the greens that has got you interested ros is in Karina. ros good morning good morning beck uh, so you're in the electorate of Griffith, held by yes. Terry Butler, previously yes. Kevin Rudd. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. She been door knocked much? No, not 
previous to this election, I, you know, 57 years, I think I can remember once, but we're usually in a safe, what's considered a safe seat, I suppose. Mm. You might see them waving on the street corner or something like that, but not door knock. But we've had uh, Max Chandler Mather come twice. So that's the Greens um, candidate in Griffiths? Yes. Griffiths, Very yeah. friendly, very appro- approachable. Um, what did you talk impressive. about? What did you talk about with him? Uh, he, just, he just wanted to know what we thought, you know, about the area, how things were in the area. What, did we have anything that we, you know, had complaints about? You know, somebody had said footpaths or something like that. Hmm. Um, and mainly just chatting that I was surprised to have somebody actually knock on the door and be actually interested. Are you um, usually so. a Greens voter, Ros? No. No, I never voted Greens. Will no. Will that door knocking influence your vote? I hope my husband's not listening, but he probably could um, because I've just found him so approachable. And just in the recent couple of days, we had one of his representatives knock on the door and they're most friendly and wanted to know if we had any problems and, uh, you know, they'd look into it. Very approachable. Why does it matter if your husband's listening? He thinks I should vote the same as him, otherwise I negate his vote. Mm, Cancel each other out. All right. I always say when I go in there, he doesn't know who I vote for anyhow. (laughs) That's exactly right. Your vote, your choice. Ros, lovely to hear from you this morning. Thank you. That's all right. Thanks, Beck. Bye. Ros and Karina. Because I thought it was really interesting the way she described that, which was she didn't, like I think politics obviously appealed to a lot of people, but there was something special and nice about the social interaction that she had, it was like, yeah, I like, what did you talk about? And, you know, it was something along the lines of, well, we just had a nice chat. Yeah, so many people coming into pre-poll saying that they were voting for Greens for the first time purely just because someone came and talked to them and asked them what they thought. And just incredible that, that that's so a, easily. Yeah, of course nah, you would say that because <laughs> that's campaigners have confirmation bias. They always think that door knocking is more effective than it is. Though you're just making Fools. up some stories. <laughs> that probably happened once and you're extrapolating. <laughs> Couldn't well, possibly have influenced the election. Yeah, I think the demographic stuff. How, oh, you go, Maddie. I'm just thinking like I think the demographic stuff, like whether it's, um, you know, here, I think some of it comes from the Labor Party here and you see it a lot with the Democrats in the US where they have this theory of changing the government where the Democrats, for example, are waiting for like old people to die and the US they think is going to get less white and that's going to win them elections. And you see it a bit with Labor here too. They think Boomer's going to die. People are going to come who like the younger people coming up, we will get government back. And it just like contains no vision that they could change anyone's minds, either connect with someone socially or connect with them politically. They just have to wait for demographic change. Well, that there's so I think other that's things why that narrative that, hangs on. Yeah, that cut across mm. like age or like demographics. Mm. Like there's other... Like, like class, class or material right. position. Yeah. Like right, exactly. Some, well, I think there was a... <laughs> to <the> name one. <laughs> one of the... Yeah, yeah. One of the more like interesting things during the... like. Of this working as well, and because the way I thought about it, I think I s- like said it in the um, in the like post on the candidates on the page, but it was like it was us like the electorate moving towards our politics, but there was a degree mm. of uh, like us as a movement moving towards the electorate as well. Yeah. Like mm. it was a coming together, and I feel like a really good practical example of that was like la- like um, the pension increase, mm. which. You know, like that did partly come because we were door knocking, like especially we pick as we always did, picked up uh, the cost of living crisis coming in advance of the media 
and um, like even economic indicators actually. And you were running into pensioners saying, yeah, I, like it's not going far enough. Mm. And us feeding that up into the federal party had a big impact on the federal party eventually um, announcing lowering the age of retirement, increasing the pension. And um, I saw someone on Twitter say this, which is like everyone wants to talk about values, but no one wants to talk about interests. Yeah. As if, as if that's a dirty word, as if collective interests are not actually how politics work. You're not supposed to vote. Yeah, it's in cheating. Interest. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a bad thing. Liberals don't think that's a good thing to do. It that's was, a small I, L liberal. And I found that, and there was a lot of people, like, I, the, and the same, I remember listening to remember Talkback Radio and someone in Griffith calling in and saying, yeah, I don't like much the Greens, but uh, I like they're raising the pension policy. It had cut through, didn't it? Yeah. Lots of people heard about it. That and um, abolishing uh, student, debt. student debt yeah, were like the two, that. probably the two things in this electorate that stood out to me as things that genuinely cut through and reached new audiences. That and dental. Oh yeah, I mean dental's a given. Dental's a class. <laughs> I feel like that's not that doesn't age old. <laughs> yeah, that's but they, been around. They were for the standouts for me that were like new and that were different and felt like we captured some people's attention with those things in a way that um, I didn't expect necessarily, or that were like different to yeah the last camp- the last federal election campaign that we ran in Griffith in 2019 was like dental, 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 bit, bit of, of energy, climate, bit of energy, and a bit of Prices. maybe a bit of housing, but it was just dental massively. And then this time it was like well clearly dental into Medicare is like still potentially the number one I don't know it started it to like it is still the number one yeah like I, I think yeah just based on like the, the feedback from the data and much. stuff yeah well this is the thing none of the takes on the election I've read from anyone and if you even mentioned dental as like I've that's there's all this stuff that's that. like oh the Greens well they obviously went on climate change like those seats flooded um, which is certainly true yeah. um there's some mention of flight noise, which, like, yeah, came up. But there's a lot of people out there who want to believe that we just want on flight noise. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it was an important component, you know. It was certainly an important component. But just, like, you know, I was looking at stuff as it came in. And, like, a number one issue, the thing that we've seen to be getting the most conversations about is dental. It's always been dental. Like, I was, <laughs> yeah. and, and it just hasn't come up in the bloody, like, I haven't seen a single... Uh, like story about this that mentions dental at all. Yeah. It's true, and there were, and there was definitely people who. It was sort of interesting as well because, like, whenever you see like national polling around issues like and, and dental into Medicare is included, it's often relatively low down behind other basics. But for me, like dental into Medicare, the material appeal of it, like people spend thousands of dollars on dental care. It's a really basic aspect of your healthcare, and even middle class people are often locked out of it because private health doesn't cover the gap. It also felt like dental always stood for me and for people who are appealed to it as a bit of a symbol for a broader social democratic politics. Yeah. They were like, yeah, we should have stuff like that. you know. And it always opened up a broader conversation about other things. Um, it's also useful for cutting through the thing that comes up every federal election, which is like, you know, we're going to cut Medicare. We're going to, we're going to save Medicare. And there's yeah. never any like, um, any specifics around what that actually means. Yeah, or can a- we actually expand healthcare or is it always just about cutting it and then clawing a little bit of it back? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I really, feel like it's really useful for that. I think that's the beauty of it. It's so concrete and it's hard to talk about interests because I don't think the Labor Party has come to people with like 
an interest-based policy for a long time. The libs are not too bad at it. They come up with random stuff like, you know, here's a grand for a ute if you're a tradie. Here's some weird complicated policy to do with super and housing. But like they try and do that and it often succeeds. Labor, I don't think, has had anything concrete like that. Like here is a free thing for you for a they long time. They had cheaper childcare, but it was pretty bungled Fuck, in its it communication. So, so confusing. Yeah. People, I think a lot of people just looked at that and were like, mm, this doesn't seem real. Yeah, it's, it's like, also like, cheap? what does that mean? Yeah. And when the means It'll testing... 7% cheaper it was for 90 something like that. of families or something. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, odds are you don't yeah. actually end up with the cheaper child. Yeah. Right? That's just a guess on my mind because I never really like got enough of a conversation about, like I wasn't like, well, what do you think about Labor's policy? But my feeling is it was probably met with a fair bit of suspicion yeah. and like not, not feeling particularly inspired by it either because people probably just assumed like, oh yeah, what, like $10 less a day or something. You know, like I don't, you just don't, you know, I'm not interested in, in that. Like that doesn't inspire me to vote for you. Universal free childcare definitely came up a lot more than even in 2019. Uh, Re-student re debt, um, I thought it was interesting that cut through so much. Like, and I've given that a lot of thought because, yeah, a lot of my donocs where people would say, oh, I heard about your student debt thing. Like, mm. and it, it, like, it is sort of interesting to me because, you know, there, there's always been an argument that students don't notice their own hex debt. Mm. Yeah. But everyone, I think, like, one of the things maybe this is one of those things where like common sense actually just ran in direct contradiction with material reality. Yeah. Because actually student debt is a very real thing. Like at tax time, mm -hmm. when a butt ton of your money gets taken out and put on a debt that is like just sitting there sucking your wage uh, out of you every tax time. And it was interesting to me again at a very base material politics. Like it was just where people were like, oh, they immediately drew the connection very quickly around how that would improve their lives very quickly. Yeah, I was surprised to know people who brought that up to me. Yeah. Like, I, I think part of the reason dental comes up so much in the data maybe is that, like, so many of our door knockers go at, use it as a go-to if mm. there's nothing. Because it's like, yeah. this is something that will materially affect you and explains our politics in a real quick way and also explains why Labour Party sucks. But the people who brought up policies to me, it was often... Um, yeah, like abolishing student debt. Do you think that's got more, like, something to do with the, like growing awareness of the housing crisis though as well like i think the mm. growing precarity of like young people not not like not being able to afford a house and all of that sort of stuff i, I always felt the student debt thing this election was amplified or people were more conscious of it because they were more aware of how like fucked people are yeah. when they when they've come out of uni like there's more of an awareness perhaps this time around of how far behind you are if you want to get into the housing market if you want to get established that this this, this degree of debt is actually seems more real. Thre like threatening to your interests for me some of it too comes from i think that it's um a lot of, across a lot of industries there's not good full-time jobs out of uni mm. um, and there's some of that sense that the value of a degree is eroding and not to exactly the same extent as the US but you've been kind of sold a lie about like getting your credentials and that being the way to achieve like a solid middle class life yeah. and I think that's when people start panicking about the debt. Well, I think it's, it is interesting as well because this is the first time the Greens have announced it mm, yeah. Like, and I sort of felt in retrospect that maybe if we'd announced it in 2019, I think there's a degree to which you're right, Liam, about that but it sort of feels like it's always been there in mm -hmm. retrospect. No um, one was willing to like go there. No, yeah, and it's yeah. it's interesting um, because I think I remember Nicole actually, uh, to her credit, years ago pushing really hard for something along these lines, like abolishing student debt. Um, yeah, it was Nicole, and 
Um, like there was a conversation in the federal party and a concern about being too radical. But it is one of those interesting moments as well where we argue that when we win on a basis of a politics, we do expand the scope of what's possible yeah. Yeah. in the political debate. It was announced and all of a sudden Clive Palmer was putting it on billboards. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And it was t- there was no political critique of it. Everyone accepted that it was something you could do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it was yeah. actually to be honest. Yeah. And, and oh, yeah, except for some people on Twitter. Yeah, except for some yeah, but like, and also to the credit, to, like credit to the um, Australian Greens who are like running the kind of federal comms. Like once they noticed that it went well, they just rammed it on yeah, for yeah, weeks. Yeah. It was actually really impressive to see them go. All right, well, <laughs> you know, people are people are responding to this. We're just going to put it on everything we do for the next like month. It was a great comms campaign, yeah, actually. It was like, yeah, um, and that probably did contribute to some of its cut through. But it was like one of those horizon building moments where. Like we a party dropped it out, and then everyone's like, "Oh yeah, that genuinely yeah. we could do that." And I thought the compar- the the genius in the announcement was comparing it to the stage three tax cuts mm. because sixty billion does sound like a lot until you're told that the stage three tax cuts with the updated costings will cost two hundred and twenty four billion dollars. And it and it's like yeah, which is to give money to people who already own over two hundred thousand yeah. dollars. Yeah, it's like I don't. Sometimes I struggle with. Like those sort of things, because like, oh, is that too simplistic? But it's like, no, politicians, like the major parties, are genuinely making the political choice just to give two hundred twenty-four billion dollars to largely people earning over yeah, two hundred thousand dollars. Like, yeah, it's actually quite simple to explain. Yeah, it which is sort of nuts. Um, is there any other misconceptions we need to deal Climate? with? Yeah, we really the floods. Fucking teal. I think we should do it with teal. Teal. Teals. Yeah. So teals. Teals are. Complicated one, I guess. Max is a teal. You stole it from a teal. Well, Max. I don't know it's, any. It's very problematic. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> you heard it here first, everyone. No, Max is no, a teal. This is going to be a shirt the to find <laughs> a slightly different colored shirt underneath. This, this is going to be on the media. <laughs> <laughs> Max is a teal. Campaign manager calls Candy Teal. Media quits the party. What's the go with teals? Something you're going to hear a bit is that Greens voters are post material voters. This is the. Yeah, there's a the big theory that's going around among the political experts at the moment is that uh, Greens voters are post-material, and, uh, and what, does, what does that mean? To, it means beyond the need to worry about material interests such mm. as dental and Medicare, or housing, um, and it means no one's worried. No one's worried at all. Sorry, it's extremely no one relatable. It. I'm chill, um, and it means that. So yeah, aren't you, yeah, you're literally looking for a house <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, it's not going well, guys. I can tell you. Man, um, the place we went to look for it in Annalee the other day was like they literally had like a dungeon underneath where it's like someone was living. The, the, so, sorry to cut you off, Matt, but like the the, the, the fucking the like uh, real estate agent only told us when Nicole asked, like, "Hey, what's the deal with the base, like the downstairs area, which was all locked?" And the and the real estate agent was like, "Yeah, well, that um the ceiling is below." Reg- regulation height so the landlord just rents that out privately not through us yeah yeah so they didn't tell anyone in the ad that there's another tenant, another tenant in the who's probably a gremlin <laughs> living in the basement <laughs> who doesn't also by the way doesn't have access to the backyard they're not allowed to go in the backyard <laughs> What the fuck? <laughs> There's some sort of name and shame. What are you We could go on for a long time about that. So let's go back to Matt's <laughs> okay, okay. post material, Matt. I'm sorry. I'm I'm totally sidetracked by this just 30 goblins in the basement. <laughs> Um, there's a big, there's a giant snake down there. Yeah, um, yeah that's it. Yeah. It speaks to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
basically, uh, there are no teal candidates in Brisbane, but there were Greens candidates. And they were, these are very similar uh, because, and this has been going around for a while, every Greens voter um, is a well-educated inner-city professional who earns $150,000 a year, and they're woke, um, they're social justice warriors, um, and they believe in totally immaterial things like climate change and queer <laughs> rights. Immaterial things. Um, and real good, honest, soul of the earth, working class labor voters with coal on their hands. Yes. These are the yes, people yes. who actually need to worry about money. Yes. Yeah. It. I mean, that. that's very easy to debunk in a lot of yeah, ways, yeah. which we sort of good already covered. Good summary, though, Matt. Because yeah. that yeah. is definitely how the entire fucking cl- like political and media class, not all of them, most of them think about it, though. It's hey. so funny watching <laughs> over the last few weeks... Um, commentators like reflect on what we're saying why we won yeah. and there's like last few weeks yeah they're like oh how it's been six days okay well yeah. it's, <laughs> it's really felt like a lot longer uh, at the time of recording dear listener <laughs> okay sorry the last few days of media have been more than I've done in my life and my brain's melting outside of my ears and I genuinely feels like sorry it does feel like weeks um, anyway but there okay, are weeks six, where weeks happen. Yeah. <laughs> there are six days yes. where weeks happen. <laughs> I think Lennon said that once. Um, uh, but, um, oh my God. <laughs> That's really thrown me, actually. <laughs> but just seeing, yeah, like, after, after years of pretending we don't exist, is seeing the common sense in the media suddenly being like, yeah, the Greens just spoke to a lot of people and they managed to convince them. It was, honestly, it's a very sensible oh, old-fashioned strategy. Yeah, obviously, the, yeah. The sense of bewilderment, though, that, like, yeah, that, I... I, I I'm hearing them talk about dental, which is not a Greens thing. Mm. And it's like, and, you know, the obvious thing to say, a few obvious things to say, 50% or close to of households in Griffith are renters. Mm. Like, yeah, it'd be and, 50% now. And like, yeah. even the middle class families who themselves are relatively well off, the conversations weren't post-material. They were worried about anxiety about the kids. Like, and two things, climate change and housing affordability. Because even if you are a middle class family, if you've got two or three kids, you're not going to be able to cover a deposit for all three of them. And... So many, it was fascinating to me, the like number of conversations I had, not not just with renters or people who for whom dental into Medicare would be transformative, but even on people on middle incomes who it was about cheap, like universal free childcare. Mm-hmm. It was about ensuring their kids didn't cop a student debt. It was about making sure that like, even interestingly enough, that was the most fascinating phenomenon to me and real was people who owned their home but their asset price was increasing so fast that they knew if they sold it and then tried to buy in mm, a similar area, yeah, yeah. by the time they went to buy, the house price would have increased by another $100,000 or $50,000. That's stressful. Yeah, um, yeah. That, was, that weird thing about off. like, um, if I sell my house, I won't be able to afford to live anywhere else in the time it takes to sell it. Like, it's it's really an insane That's time. true. That's actually quite a common story as well yeah. as the person who owns the place, but they're trying to find a rental to mm. be, so they can... And they yeah. Can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so nuts. Well, one of the other beauties about talking about dental is that it reminds you people aren't psychos. Like, the amount of people I spoke to, they're like, oh, yes, I have private health. But isn't it terrible how long you have to wait to go to the public dental? Yeah. It harms yeah. a lot of people. People get it. It's a beautiful, like, mum policy for comfortable people. Uh, they can fully understand it and there's no blame in it not like mm. housing or welfare or lots of things That's they're just like people need their teeth well we live it you know i'm gonna I'm say but we, you know like there's like we live in a society you know like <laughs> and we do and, and not, not everyone's a psycho yeah there's, really? a, there's a common there's a there's a recognition as well the number of times where people said and i found this we don't want to go the way of the u.s oh, shit, i heard that so many and, times. And, I, and i think what that was 
was a concern and a recognition that a good welfare state and a Scandinavian-style social democracy creates a social cohesion that ensures that your neighbours are looked after, which means you have friendlier neighbours and a friendlier neighbourhood and a better, more cohesive society. And that in itself, I would argue, is a material like collective interest. Um, Wait, are we still talking about climate change? Well, we were talking about the teals. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and I guess that's the thing. It's sort of like the reflection that I had was... You know, because people did bring up the Teals thing to me and I was trying to think, okay, well, why is it that, you know, why is it that I don't think that this seat had a Teal dimension, even though we were door knocking areas where you'd imagine, you know, that middle class vote, you'd imagine it would have, it would would be able to be captured by a Teal independent. I mean, I I don't think Griffith in general has that character. But I think the other thing is it's like, it's not natural or inevitable that a seat is teal or not. Like yeah. you can go to a seat, right, where there's a lot of those sort of middle class voters and take to them a broad social democratic program with universalist policies like dental into Medicare and universal free childcare, and they will love that and they will want to vote for that. You don't have to take them a fucking teal yeah, program yeah, yeah, of yeah, just yeah. sort yeah. of middling climate right. action and a shitty Beautiful. ICAC. Like this you don't have to do it. Like it's not, you know, we can't say, oh, like we can't on the one hand say, oh, it's not demographics that win seats, and on the other hand say, oh, Griffith is not democratically a not yeah, yeah. A d- democratically not teal. Like it could be. Mm. But why would you bother? Teal politics is not good enough, and people are actually res- like respond just as well, if not better, to a politics that is good on climate, that is good on you know reforming politics more broadly. And I and I think the ICAC thing is is a very overblown um, sort of approach. To, like it, it doesn't warrant the degree of like people's fetishization that it does. But I mean, it'd be a good thing. But it's not everything. But like you can take those things as well as dental, housing, childcare, all those things, and those potential teal voters, apart from a few who think you're going too radical, but most of them will go, yeah, actually, that's the society I want to live in. Well, and I think also it's worth wondering why there weren't teal candidates that ran here. Because we'd beat them. Well, I think that's probably partly, but I think it's also because of the cohesiveness and, and size of our movement as well, like that... Um, we the, our volunteer movements are so big that the social organisations that might result in the infrastructure for a teal campaign, probably or many of those people are already incorporated under our political organisation. And I think the other thing to say, which is to say mums, sorry, which is to say mums. Yeah, this yeah. is the election where we mobilised to the most mums, which was the most exciting part of this election. <laughs> I, and I think, yeah. It, <laughs> Wait, hang on, hang on. <laughs> there was certainly a much broader set of demographics involved. Who love to volunteer? We love them to volunteer. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but I think also that like uh, I think the other thing as well uh, beyond like the, the specific milks. specific policies was we describe a much broader political project as well. The the horizon of our political project is much bigger than because the teals prescription of what's wrong in politics is precisely like they want to like bring you know back to the good liberal party and like climate action but like a more integ with an a parliament with more integrity they just want leaders who taste like real leaders yeah it seems like it just seems like a factional split within the liberal party well although i think like when you think about people you've door knocked like for me this election was about there's always been anti-politics people who hate all parties and they hate the establishment for me it was very obvious this election that now that was like traveling up the income bracket and now there were comfortable mums comfortable dads comfortable grannies who were really fed up with politicians and for me that's what the teal's 
have captured. They're just like the lowest anti-poll, low-hanging fruit that happens to like look palatable to people in some of these suburbs. And so I think the teal candidates themselves might have this like narrative of we want leaders that taste like real leaders. I think the voters are probably just anti-poll voters the same as anyone else. They've sent out someone to talk to them. They've said, are you sick of the majors? They've said, yep. And yeah. they scooped them up. I really agree, Manny. And I would also say, I think it's important that uh, the media knows that <laughs> the narrative shouldn't be that, you know, we only won in Griffith because there wasn't a Teal candidate, but rather that the Teal candidates only won because there wasn't a Griffith campaign uh, in their seat. So, you know, just setting the record straight on that one. Very, very true. And I, I mean, like, the, I, I think there's a lot to be said as well that there were, like, clear schisms within the Liberal Party because it seems like a lot of the donor base and like organisation for quite a few of these till candidates were disgruntled, like liberal members and or like activists or or whatever. They've forsaken their own mills. Yeah, they have nowhere to volunteer. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I Max, I Max is like visibly that. uncomfortable with this line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think that concept as well. Like we drew a lot of people into our campaign because we spoke about like a comprehensive plan for where we wanted the country to go over the next 10 to 15 years and also built a much bigger coalition of voters because there's limitations to Teal's politics because if you go and speak to someone in public or social housing like um, integrity and climate it's sometimes not enough like it is I want to you need to build more public housing so I can move into a nicer place or it is that you want to get dental into Medicare or it is that you need to raise the pension Uh, and I think What's important about that broader comprehensive platform as well is it allows, when that concept of coming together, it allows for a much more comprehensive coming together as well because you can relate to every aspect. There is no aspect of someone's material life that we can't cover with a policy. Yeah. And yeah. and I thought that was important as well. It was a, it was a much more all-encompassing, enveloping <laughs> yeah. um, politics in that sense, uh, which meant, like all you good universalist politics, is you take the particulars and you incorporate them in a, yeah. un- a universalist project, and I, I and I, we've been doing that for years now, and I and I and I agree with you, Eva. If if that politics were to run at the size of this campaign in seats where I think um, where Teals may have done well, I think we would have, may have done better. I've had this blinding moment of clarity where the Teals are Van Batten's understanding of the Greens, <laughs> and we're Van Batten's understanding of the Labor Party. <laughs> The reason the reason this works, the reason it's going to be better than any kind of teal bullshit, is that we're like genuinely trying to like yeah ascribe a possible future that doesn't suck shit. Whereas the teals are kind of just going on like yeah like climate change and nice middle class being sensible stuff. I mean, they're doing the bare minimum right though. They're yeah. saying the major parties suck, which is like yeah, good stuff. Well, it's it's not like there aren't post material greens voters and people within the greens yeah. party, but they were already voting for us in Griffith, and they have been for a long time. Yeah. Um, and then I think there's those anti poll people who almost vote in reverse order of how big the party is. And they would vote for us or vote for a teal. I yeah. think what we have that is new is like regular people like across the electorate, across the income spectrum that are like excited about some of our universal policies. Mm. Um, and mm. you can see that because you're not, you know, if we were a teal party, we would be winning Belimba and that's our worst area. It's um, interesting. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about the coalition building since, yeah, like over the last few weeks. And like, I suppose that's where we're, what we're talking about, right? It's like that coming together thing you were saying, Max. But I think part of the reason why, like coalition building is a bit fraught because there are particular interests that sort of like, 
don't necessarily, you know, I, I'm sure there were people who were voting for us that didn't agree with some of our policies, yeah. right? Like that didn't. Oh no, people told know. us that all the time. But I think, but I think why it was effective. Like I think this is like a lesson for long term, and what I imagine the you know Max's office will do, and Stevens and Libby's offices will be doing, and the Greens in general should be doing, is the way that I think people stick to that coalition, even if they don't agree with every part of your platform, is that you're there <laughs> and you like are you're the one forging the, the relationship mm. you're in their community you're the one having the conversations i mean there's a lot more to it than that there's like i think the the, the way that we spe- the specific language we use and all sorts of things also the fact that we don't lie to people we're not saying we're going to do all this overnight like we're not yeah. you know like we're not treating people like idiots we're la- laying out a pathway that these things could be achieved mm-hmm. like there's like a there's a whole bunch of other factors rather than just the policies that allowed us to build this coalition and allow people from all parts of the spectrum of that coalition to feel like oh yeah this is my home now mm. and I, I imagine a lot of them do feel like that maybe not all of them some of them was like your first time and they'll see how it goes and they'll <laughs> make up their mind again in 2025 or at the next council and state elections but for a lot of them i think it was like oh no the greens is like this is this is part of who i think make like i'm part of this coalition and i self-identify as part of it and that's come through the community organizing and the door knocking as much as anything else and maybe that's something we could turn to at some point tonight. yeah do we pivot away from all of the ruining yeah i mean i think, just get I think you, dear listener, you get the point right like, yeah it's not it's not objective factors they were influential but they yeah. weren't uh, you can still decisive. act upon the world yeah. and it have an effect yeah, yeah you can like, go out there and change yeah, you might yeah yeah it's fair, man, man makes history not under circumstances of his own choosing it's objective and subjective conditions da 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 done <laughs> alright moving on <laughs> the um the uh, I, I think that beyond being there beyond like just being there I think the other thing that like in terms of organization, because there was something novel this time, like new to what we usually do. Like two, no- I feel like there was two novel things to what we usually did. One was innovations in our training around um, door knock conversations, mm. in particular life knocking, um, which like for, you know, listeners away, like way that was developed. Or, like it was sort of a funny process. Like Matt started one of our like data analysts for our swing letters, started noting that the conversations I uh, like certainly I was having words starting to diverge from like some of our volunteers and on the basis that there were long form notes just about people's lives. And that sort of came out of necessity from my like door knocking a lot early in the campaign. It was just like, oh, people didn't necessarily want to talk about politics. Mm. So you just needed to start asking questions about the things that were affecting their lives. And that we eventually rolled that into a training and rolled it out, which was essentially just teaching people to ask lots of different material questions about, are you a homeowner? Are you a renter? What do you do for work? How's how's life going at work? Like, you yeah. know. It's sort of like weirdly just training people to go back to being like personable people interested in everyone else's lives. Yes. And then slowly politicizing it at the end of the conversation. Yeah. It was a big lesson in teaching people how to be curious about yeah. other humans and just yeah. like yeah. ask a bunch of questions and yeah. then be yeah. normal and relate to them. Like yeah. it, it describes like if you think about all the most charismatic and interesting people you know, like like how do they hold people's attention? Why do they hold a room? Often they're like asking questions and they're just genuinely interested in people's you just lives. You've got to Anthony Bourdain that shit. Exactly. And if you think about the people who are naturally good door knockers for whatever reason, it's like, oh yeah. Okay. So we're just trying to train people to be able to relate to anyone yeah. and to figure out ways to do it. And that's part of the reason why I'm so excited about the last six years of my life is that after so much fucking door knocking, like I'm genuinely more interesting, more kind, more like caring yeah, 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 yeah. and like, 
charismatic person. Because that's the thing. It's not. It's not just. I think the techniques that we developed was just like you know. Here's some questions you can ask. Here's mm. how to sort of like you know expand the conversation if it heads in this direction. Those sorts of things are like techniques. But the the heart of it was like trying to remind. You know, because a lot of people come into this uh, movement who, you know, like on the basic level, ha- share a common material interest with most of the people they door knock, maybe mm. 70% of the people they door knock. But because they have, they're kind of a weirdo, because like yeah, who yeah, isn't, yeah, yeah. like if you're choosing to door knock on a Saturday afternoon um, instead of go to the pub, like you're a weird Powerfully person. Odd. Like yeah. you are alienated from normal society. You have become part I don't of- agree with that. There's a, there was a broad layer of people that that was not the case. True, but, but I still think on. that even for, th- for those people, it still took them a bit of an understanding of how to break down that context that has been set up, where it's like, I'm a political person going to the door yes. of someone who is not part yes. of the political any political movement or yeah, anything, yeah, yeah. and I... It feels like it, an artificial situation, right. so we're reminding you to make it natural again. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that, and that requires yeah. a certain degree of, like, almost artifice, yes, ironically, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to sort of, like, dial it back to a, to a different sort of terrain, but it can be done, I think, was the, what was the really interesting like, thing, I is, like, you can have these amazing, rich life conversations that then get politicised through the course of the conversation, but are rooted in, yeah, experience. I and, can't and remember... A, sorry, Max. I can't remember who said this, but I remember the last week of the campaign, someone said this, and it really um, hit home for me, was um, one of the reasons why... Who said this? One of the reasons why <laughs> door knocking often isn't awkward is because there's actually no like social conventions around mm. what a door knocking conversation is because no one really does it yeah. um, other than this Us. vague idea that <laughs> like oh maybe maybe the person you're talking to doesn't want you to stay very long and that's kind of the only yeah. sort of inbuilt sort of understanding yeah. between two yeah, people yeah. when you yeah, knock yeah. on their door like, there's a limit to this conversation um, you have to crush that thing inside you which is yeah. they're like oh they're giving me the signals that they want me to stop but we're going to keep having this conversation for a but few more minutes. But it's true, though. And it occurred to me that, like, door knocking is so very rarely awkward with the person. Like, it can be, you know, it can be, I, yeah. um, you know, a, a short-lived conversation. <laughs> it can be sometimes not that productive um, and sometimes very productive. Um, but, yeah, I think that just goes down to the fact that you sort of have to train but we have to train both ourselves and almost mm. the electorate as well, well to like understand that this is a normal yeah. thing to do, to like talk to people you don't know. That's anyway, it. And yeah. um, Joe, you described this in your essay a few years ago. Like it also I'm changes, guessing. like the conversations just as much changing the electorate as they change our volunteers and us. Oh, like, hugely. Like, and our own politics as well. Like, we need another whole 20 minutes at the end of this about how door knocking changes people, even though we've done two door knock casts on Yeah, 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 we go and refer back to those. I was going to say the other big innovation was the community campaigning. And, you know, whether that the we did, you can refer back to our flood cleanup cast or like planting community gardens. Um, Yeah, that's right. And all of that stuff. And uh, like dropping off care packages for people in COVID. And, I think there was the concept of us being there, but I think there was another crucial aspect to that as well, which was when you engaged in the act of helping someone, you proved that it was possible. <laughs> like, And th- this conversation that stuck with me the most was, uh, I think it was one of our volunteers, knocked this guy uh, in Wollongabba, in, uh, it was in public housing, and tried to notice that he had young kids and really tried to push and sell free childcare. Mm. And... Um, he was not really having it. I was like, yeah, but that's never going to happen, is it? And mm. like, wasn't really engaging. But at the end of the conversation, she was like, look, uh, we're also running this like COVID care package. So if you're ever struggling over the next few weeks, just like call this number or like scan this QR code and fill in this form and we'll drop around a free box of food. He's like, yeah, okay. Left it with him. Get back into the office on Monday. And one of the requests is from this guy. And 
drops off, we go and drop off the um, care package and he gives Louisa, the person, our organizer running, largely running this program, a call. And he says, you know, like after thanking Louisa profusely, was like, you know, I've been thinking a lot about that free childcare thing. And I think that's a really good idea and would be really transformative. And then the other thing that the community campaigning did was build people's confidence that collective action can lead mm-hmm. to positive material outcomes. Mm-hmm. Like, and this, this is a really amazing, constant positive feedback loop that, like, I'm very excited about the next three years rolling this stuff out in Griffith, and we've got a lot of plans. But um, the... There's plans, people. There's plans. A big plans, and I think we should do a future cast about those. The plans, but, the plan um, cast. cast. <laughs> but I think that's... Yeah, you go, <laughs> Three-year oh, I, I think the other cool thing about the community campaigns was there was this real coalition building between like yes. what was very a very wealthy suburb of Bulimba growing food and then donating that to our COVID boxes. Yes. And it was just like all of these like mega, like quite wealthy people who really didn't need this free food yeah. doing the work to grow it to save their park and yes. then donating it for people who are needy. And I think like that that we look when we started this campaign we looked at Belimba and we're like Belimba's gonna be cursed. Yeah. But it actually just like proved this really fruitful area literally fruitful, hey. where people yeah. just wanted to give what they had to help their neighbours and yeah. I just never saw that happening in the campaign. I think part of that is, also true, is, is that pe- people all across the electorate are alienated and isolated and don't have as much community as they'd like. Like, I think that's pretty mm-hmm. much generalised and that probably also speaks to people's, like, low expectations because yeah. they're not used to exercising any collective power mm. ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, it, whether it's a relatively well-off person yeah. in Belimba or it's, like, a pensioner in social housing in Karina High, who's alienated none of them feel collectively powerful and when you get a little taste of it 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 does broaden your horizons and your sense of what's possible very quickly apparently yeah like while you're like less sympathetic to like a like boomer on the third glass of Chardonnay in Belimba. Uh, third glass of Chardonnay is very good though. Like, 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 yeah, exactly. In but fairness like, too. Then. No, no, like I mean, who wouldn't? And that's the point. Like they're like not. They don't. They seem comfortable, but they're also still socially alienated, right? And they want a community garden. They want parkland. But a great time. I think it also that like the whole like boomer thing as well. For me, it's one of the things I hate the most on yeah, Twitter yeah, yeah. is that generational politics. Yeah, like, it's, it's obviously fake. It's so fake. And, like, there was just as much, like, regardless of someone's age, I always encounter just as much kindness and empathy and desire to help other people regardless. Like, age wasn't the determinant of that. No, and, no. and uh, like, Max you know, would like to be clear. He also welcomes gifts. <laughs> Grandparents who love to volunteer. I do not. <laughs> He's <gilfs>. open. <laughs> Man, y'all worked. Uh, y'all worked uh, very hard. Uh, anyway, doesn't <laughs> there were actually yeah, no, some great there. grandparents had who liked to volunteer. Genuinely, had a lot. I had a blessed couple at um, Prepol who did such good work. Um, but it, <laughs> I was just going to briefly. I was just going to briefly name drop an amazing volunteer named Cliff. When I was yes. in, when I was Cliff. in the office here the other day, I was coming to pick something up, and it was just me here. Um, and then oh, um, sort yeah, of yeah. Cliff sort of wanders in. Um, he's in his eighties. Um, and he he just said he wanted to let me know that uh, the result in Griffith had restored his faith in democracy. Uh-oh. Um, and it was Local extremely guy. sweet. Um, and I love Cliff. Goodbye. Cliff is amazing. Cliff's an old communist, right? Who I think had just Good dropped lad. out of being involved in politics for a very long time and um, got excited by this campaign. Real sweet dude. It's um, so a shout story, out to Cliff. A yeah. story we've heard uh, many a time over. as well. That sort of 
giving people hope. Again. Yeah, and that's the other. That's the final cap on the end of the like. It was the youth what done it. Like it, we truly had a very broad spectrum of society like engaged in our campaign. And it yeah, was and delightful. actively actively engaged. And it was. Um, I was chatting to one of our volunteers because um, we went and did this like filming either two days ago or four months ago um, <laughs> uh, down at Tagore Park Community Garden and Di, one of our like key volunteers, just a resident who got involved in that, came up to me and was like, I think we should double the size of the garden. Yes, Di. And, yes. then, she was like, and then she was like, I've been, driving, I've been driving around the gr- Griffith looking at other locations where we can plant other gardens yes. because... <laughs> Because if we, you know, the same idea we've been talking about for a while and like came up of it independently, like if we grow enough of them, we could produce a lot of food. And it's like, oh, this is someone who yes, we met when, when we met Lockie and I, like our community organizer men, met with this group of residents 12 months ago. Yeah. All they wanted was to save the park. They were mm. like, there's going to be road through built through it. Can you just help us organize some develop applications against development yes. application? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Q 12 months later and... One of these, gardening, like, like, yeah, <laughs> Dai is now just a like a lovely resident in Balimba is contemplating yet yeah, a, a mass gorilla gardening effort to p- start producing free food for people in need. Yeah, yeah, and, and it uh, is gorilla, by the way. Like we didn't get a permit for that, and council were very, very salty with us that we just went ahead and did it. And I'm pretty sure Dai would be very keen to just start dumping soil yeah. <laughs> and planting shit. Yeah. You know, that was just we need. We never really did, but like the, uh, that week in the lead up to planting that garden because we like. So good. Yeah, because we, we letterbox I've dropped. I completely forgot. Yeah, I know. This, same. This I, is a great the local councillor Karakut was not very happy. People, uh, <laughs> but we like we letterboxed the entire, basically like multiple suburbs around the land, being like, "Hey, we're going to be planting this garden." <laughs> like, and I get this like I get this call, call, and the this is sort of what the gorilla gardeners tend to do, right? Yeah. Like, you don't advertise that you're going to yeah. do this illegal thing. Well, it turns out it wasn't illegal because we got a, I got a call. It was the most bizarre situation, and it was one of those moments where it felt like the campaign had built a bit of power because I got its call, and it's like, "Oh, good day, Max," and so and so, and I'm like, "Oh yeah," and he's like. I uh, am the director of this department in council, like a senior bureaucrat in council. <laughs> and he's like, I hear you're thinking about planting this garden. I was like, oh, yeah, 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 we are. And he was like, oh, uh, you know, like, and then we spent an entire week negotiating about whether or not the park was going to be planted. Oh. Um, in the end, like, they, they send a council off because um, it turns out council have never developed a, de- a development application process to put community gardens so he sends me this checklist but there's no not applications there's just no a checklist. To, yeah, yeah, so I'm like yeah we filled up the checklist man we're gonna plant the garden and so they send a council officer out on yes. the saturday and he rocks up um and he's like oh i just want to come and uh inform you that council hasn't authorized this and um <laughs> and then and then someone's like you know there's snags on the barb he's like oh, i might grab a snag and everyone cheered <laughs> yeah yeah because it would turn A it off, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. And I think what happened there was interesting at a micro level. Council had given up that park in a way because they were about, they had signed off on a yeah. master plan that yeah. involved a four lane road yeah. through the middle of it. Mm. They never developed an application process. It's not actually illegal to plant a community garden. It's perfectly legal. And if you're listening, pl- go plant a community garden if Hell you're yeah. in Brisbane. Um, but it, it is it, investment advice. It was amazing to me. It was one of those examples where the, there was genuine community social power, and the community voted with their feet. When the council came out, they realised that everyone supported it, and now there's council officers mowing around the garden and being very respectful of it. Yeah, and people and carved out their own little space. And it was if you're very listening, exciting. Kara Cook, it's going to be doubled. Double it, double it. 
I think that's that's a really sick story, and I'd totally forgotten about that entire week. Same, but but it sort of set the tone for the rest of the campaign. Hey, because after that, like it really actually in some ways this is a campaign against the Brisbane City Council, because because the next because the next fight was Flood Week. Yeah, where council was like, no one go out, no one do anything, don't Don't help anybody, don't touch it, stay away, (laughs) hide, and then we mobilized two hundred people to go clean up like dozens and dozens of properties run food to people whatever and then the mud army rocks up on like the Saturday or the Sunday after we've been doing a full week of cleaning and there was nothing well there was plenty left to be done but the mud army was like oh we're not very useful here we're and then go they home. just yeah we could go home like they didn't do they did so little in this sort of Griffith area because we had got there way early like four or five days earlier in some cases like as soon as the floodwaters receded why would you wait till the mud gets caked up on well, your goddamn you, walls well because that was what was weird about that as well because you knew like the common no- social knowledge was if you did that then you couldn't clean it up like mm. you needed to clean it up as the waters were receding well was- I also spoke to people who had not been in Griffith and had been waiting on the mud army yeah. but they weren't like home when they came and one of the powerful I think aspects of the floods was um, UMAX and some others like going and like knocking on people's doors That's and speaking it. to them and kind of reaching that like understanding of them and their lives and like how can we help when can we help it's mm. not going to necessarily be right now in five minutes when the mud army's here yeah so and there were people all over the conversations place. actually yeah and like who... often you did have to be patient and wait mm. because people it was fascinating as an aside and reflected on people felt like they were losing control mm. the water were coming into their homes they, they couldn't stop it and you like occasionally you'd have to go and come and ask hey we've got that team around the corner and they'd say no mm. and you'd have to we'd end up having to wait a day before they were okay for us to come and help yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. a very interesting yeah. process there's a whole so cast about cancel. this yeah, yeah. 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 do the maybe see the previous <laughs> to it but then the final fight with council was um, yard signs. the yard sign the yard sign wars yard sign gate where um, council put out this rule that said only 100 you can only put up 150 signs you only you could only Paint register undemocratic. You had to register the addresses and Ridiculous. the supporters' like details with council and stuff. And we just simply refused to do it. Oh. And council pinged us for maybe 20 of the 1,500 that we ended up putting up oh. and then sent us this like... I'm I'm about to go eat shit letter. Like I suck. I'm a loser. You guys, you know, um, you guys beat me. Letter like three weeks later, um, after we just stared them down and they just literally couldn't do a single thing. Um, I think, yeah, it was it was thinking back that to Gulliwa Park thing is like, yeah, set the tone for our constant just sort of like ignoring the Brisbane City Council and saying, you guys just don't have power to enforce this stuff. I said uh, this morning I was reflecting about like the just the many number of things that needed to go right for us to win Griffith and I reckon the yard signs was actually one of those puzzle pieces that fell into place because it meant that we had a fuck ton of yard signs up and neither of the major party, neither Labour or Liberal did but they still underestimated us because they were just like, oh, it's only it's just because the Greens aren't obeying the law. So that's not like representative actual support and just continue to ignore us. It was, <laughs> it was another example as well, like similar to Gula Park, where we built real social power because it took on a life of its own. Yeah. I got a call. I got a call from like, just like people who aren't really actually involved with the Greens at all. I didn't actually think that political being like, yeah, I want a yard sign now. Like... You can take that, and like people being like calling me, like Max, tell council they can take my yard sign out of my cold dead. Hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it felt like we won votes purely because council was like, "No, you yeah. can't have yard signs." Like, we said, "Give me Fuck a you. sign," and then people were like, "Yeah, we want that." Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna vote for those chads who yeah. like absolutely <laughs> fucked well, up council. This actually, this is the, from the best piece of analysis on Twitter, which was like, 
uh, something that needs to be analysed really seriously is why the Queensland Greens don't give off big loser yeah, energy. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, fucking stand up to people. People are so ready to, for someone to pick a fight yes. over anything, yeah, over we're, fucking signs. We're establishment, we're absolutely. We're a nation of... Uh, Hmm. Wonderful. What word can I people. use? Uh, um, a nation of wonderful people. A wonderful, nation of wonderful people, people who have yeah. been uh, a bit browbeaten by authority. <laughs> no. But um, but as a result, everyone gets really excited when there's one person who's not browbeaten by authority. And that was we were that person. Um, I also want to reflect on something that friend of the cast um, and Oaf, King Oaf, Josh oh, said on Twitter, King Oaf. which was about like the loser energy stuff. And he was reflecting on like the propensity of some opposition campaigns to continually try to, like, catch us out, quote-unquote. Like, there was an example of, um, at Prepol, like, one of our volunteers who has a disabled parking permit and a disability parked in the disabled parking spot, and they all took pictures of her getting out of the car Whoa. in the green street and was like, why is your volunteer, like, blocking you, blah, the, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Fucking disgraceful. Yeah, that and that, just really, like, petty shit like that, and obviously, like, the trawling of um, volunteer social media and, the, like, trying to cancel mm. people online stuff, and Josh was like, we could do all of that stuff yeah. and score way more points because they do all that shit. And, you know, I did personally see like a car with a labor volunteer park in that disabled parking spot i don't know if they had a parking permit or not i didn't investigate i don't yeah. really care well i mean i do care but like i'm not <laughs> gonna try and cancel them for it yeah, yeah um yeah. and josh was like we don't do that stuff because it's that's what losers it's, do <laughs> like, <laughs> that is loser energy is also loser not the politi- i think this relentless because someone on the media described it and like that guardian podcast is like relentless positivity yes and it, it like i keep forgetting that like, because it's so naturally the what we do, which is just like constant, unrelenting positivity about the future. If we make critiques of the major parties, it's on a political basis, not yep. on a personal basis. It, 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 I think it's because we have in mind a much broader political project about where we're going. We're not interested in winning for winning's sake. We're interested in winning because it's a step along a path to improving people's lives and we're tackling all, climate change. And we're also just genuinely confident in that politics, right? Like, I think that's yeah. a big difference. Like, if you're if you're genuinely confident that your politics and your political project actually relates to people where they're at and is speak to people and all that sort of stuff and is on a trajectory yeah. that... Um, could change things. Why would you bother with all that sort of stupid shit? Mm-hmm. It's just that makes no sense. It's also anti so it's just anti social. I think yeah, it get back, gets back to that like idea of if greens, you know, the imaginary greens person being post material mm. when like if you our volunteers and our voters love being material, right? Like Di is so happy growing veggies. Like that's made her really happy. People are happy helping people in the floods. People are happy having something really concrete to hang on to like dental. That doesn't just make like our voters happy. It makes like our volunteers happy and they don't need to bring those like bad vibes into posting. Like you're harassing someone about a disabled parking space or you're getting on Twitter or you're harassing other party volunteers when you don't have any like good positive material shit to do yourself. Like go out and plant a garden, labor volley, you'll feel better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Like Plans that's true. There's one in Belimba that's about to get bigger. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think uh, yeah, triple be, in size. I've heard. To be cl- to be clear, we will be expanding to Goodwill Park Community Garden. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But and by we, I mean the community. Yeah, <laughs> well, we are the community. Yeah. No, I mean I think uh, yeah, like I think that's a really good point. Like people come into uh, the Queensland Greens in general, I think, and by the end of a campaign are certainly tireder and have more grey hairs and mm-hmm. wrinkles and whatever, mm-hmm. but are happier. 
Yes. Like a genuinely more socially connected, happier, more have more hope, more sense of yep. their capacity, their power. Mm-hmm. And why would you waste that energy on like dog shit, negative stuff that's like, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. loser stuff. So, yeah. I mean, and it, it is... um. It is one of the like most impressive like anecdotal pieces of feedback we get, and certainly I've got from a lot of people over the last few days. Is like um, people being like, "Look, even if we lost, this campaign was transfa- transformational for me," because um, and actually I got this great feedback. I can't remember who it was from, but like this um, person was like, "Look, when I go along to door knocks, um, I feel like an equal." Like, no one yes. throws their weight around. Like, everyone's just there to do the same thing. We all, like, no one made me feel bad about the fact that I didn't know as much as others. Everyone just helped each other out. Like, in our debriefs, everyone's, like, offering little pieces of advice. There's no egos. It's just, like, trying to work out how you could have had that conversation better and reflecting on that. And that, I like, we I think we take that culture for granted in a way because that is that is actually relatively unique in a in a political organization. Mm. Oh, it absolutely is. Like I had feedback from a volunteer Hal who like we'd met a couple of times at Dornox and then I was giving Hal a lift one day and he asked, What do I do for work? And I was like, Oh, like I help run the campaign and he just like stopped for a moment and then he was like but you're so normal. Yeah. <laughs> like, but little did Hal like, know. Little did Hal know that, like, yeah, for Hal, it was just like, oh, you're just like engaging in this space like every other volunteer here does. And you're not like, you're not being a boss or you're not being like throwing your weight around or anything. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, like, it, not it's not intentional it's just who we are yeah, but yeah. it's nice to have that feedback. And it's like, oh, we're doing a good thing. That's yeah. it. And I think that that sense of um, hope. Like it's funny how we've I we've and even in the back end of our campaigns where we haven't won, people still come out of it with a sense of hope and aspiration for the future. Like obviously winning helps. Um, yeah, it does a lot, by the way, dear yeah, listener. Yeah, it does feel. It's great. Hey? Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a good feeling. But you should do it more. But because I think people come out in any because you see a swing or you see like things positively things move, um, for so long like and um, I feel like. Um, since the defeat of the union movement in the 90s, really, up until and the failure of the Iraq war marches, mm. politics has been something that's been done to us. Like, so often, like again and again and again, political decisions are made about us and to us and things get done to people and, and awful things get done to people. Or wars happen because politicians make that decision, but it's another world. Mm. And I, I, it feels like one of the breakthrough moments for a lot of people is like, oh, no, I like this is something that we can do to politics. Mm. Like, and we can collectively and like in an emancipatory way push back. And for, I, I think I just like was on a, another pod, cheating on with another podcast. Yeah, um, unbelievable. Uh, Shame. 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 Won't be named by the way. Yeah, the yeah, podcast. We're actually very friendly with, with the, with the other podcast. Yeah. We love podcasts, but, um, the, but what, what it does, I, I, I think, it, I feel like the, the the hope for me, and, and it's, I think hope for everyone, is when you when you do something, when you can change someone's mind, or you win an election, and you win a seat, or you do something that shifts politics in the right direction, it genuinely becomes for people like, oh, all the only thing standing in our way is scale. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, if we were able to run, as Eva said, a Griffith-style campaign in every seat around the country, then we could have won a bunch more seats. And it, it um certainly gives me energy, which is like... The, uh, like we are just in a race against time now and if you get involved and do stuff like this 
um, you break the biggest asset that uh, we always say the major parties have, which is low expectations. And my God, did at the end of this election, we um, we re- that's the big we, transformation. We fucked that up. Yeah, we um, we ruined that. Yeah, people got some bigger expectations, which is you know some somewhat of a challenge for us now. But uh, well, a challenge we can meet head on. Yeah, absolutely. Should we do wrapping up? Um, yeah, perhaps. I was just going to suggest we talk a bit about how it felt to actually, like on election night, how that played out and how it felt to see that we'd won. <laughs> like think to wrap up. Yeah, I don't. I I want to get into that. We probably don't. But it's just like I was at the party and like um, seeing us come up on the TV and seeing that uh, not only had we clearly won, but that we were in first place. Um, and yeah, just like I, I don't know. This is. A, Really good night. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> no, it's it's true. And we, I think we've reflected on this, and maybe it was the it was the previous gloat cast, right? Um, and I think maybe Declan was on that, and that sort of sense of like collective joy, I think, is what Declan was talking about. That idea. I had a mate of mine, um, Nick, uh, who I knew in in like primary school and high school. Um, and he'd sort of not been super involved and was a bit disillusioned with politics. And I pitched to him pretty hard like six months ago to get involved like over a beer. And he got in touch afterwards and was basically like, that was the best night of my life. Thank you so much for pitching so hard to me. So I would go out and door knock every weekend for that, for that period. That was, I've never experienced anything like it. And we reflected on how it's like your, be- your favorite footy team or like cricket team, like winning big against all the odds, but you're like... Your instrument, yeah, you're the you know, and, but it's also so much more meaningful than that yeah, because yeah, it's, so, it's politics you know, and so on. But like, there's that's one of the only similarities because mo- most people don't have that sense of like a collective experience of like winning and like all the bonds of solidarity because we a lot of people made a lot of sacrifices for this campaign, like incredible, like just incredible sacrifices people made in their lives you know the hours that they gave up, some of the older volunteers in particular, pensioners and so on who just work day in day out for the campaign younger volunteers people out door knocking every weekend doing like four door knocks a weekend and our door knocks by the way got long they were like three hours three hour door so people were doing up to 12 hours of door knocking a weekend volunteers giving up their entire backyard so that we'd actually have space to like put together our yard sign operation taking paid leave taking their leave their holiday leave to do do pre-poll and all sorts of stuff and then and then on election night you see all of those people who've sacrificed just as you have and then you see the result and you can't help but like break down and cry in front of all of these people because it's so beautiful that we've all done the same thing together we've all made those sacrifices and it it bonds you to those people in such a way that you it's un, it's pretty indescribable i would say i thought joe did a good description of it yeah, well, in that article oh my god i was literally about to write that yeah, yeah. But all of us have that. Yeah, have comrades, right? Yeah, yeah. That I encourage. Like, I'm a broken record on reading that article face to face because that heady solidarity um, is not again like that collective solidarity is not something that um, like anyone that you feel when you go to a protest or when you mm. feel when you go all of the sort of like standard political activity that happens these days. But yeah. like it does happen, for instance, when workers go on strike and, and win. Um, and uh, it's, uh, um, it's funny that those, um, that, that those bonds of solidarity, I think in the past necessarily haven't been built in election campaigns from other political parties either. And so it is worth wondering why it happens specifically with our political projects, mm. um, more so, I would argue, than um, with others. 
which I think is interesting. Yeah, it's the shared purpose. Oh, Joe. Oh yeah, I was just going to say that like you go through. Um, like you do stuff that doesn't feel good. Like it's not <laughs> fun to be on pre-poll for two weeks. Like, although I think it's... Yeah, Mel, uh, real psychos in the room are like, what? <laughs> on the last day of pre-poll, I got sad that it was the last oh, day. Mel, amazing. Well, look, there and, are certain, and, and that volunteer thought you amazing. were normal. <laughs> yeah, there are certain people, there are certain no, mental disorders that cause you cause you to enjoy door knocking and pre-poll. I wouldn't know anything about that. Um, yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah. One of the, I don't know, like one of the things I often say to people, which sometimes take people by surprise, um, is that I don't enjoy door knocking. Like yeah. I, my, I think it's very valuable. Um, I'm always glad that I've done it, but my primary relationship to it is not one of enjoyment. Mm. And when I go out, I'm just like, oh, fuck this again. What am I doing? Um, and there was like, yeah, definitely a couple of points on the last week of pre-poll, especially, um, well, election day. And also, yeah, when it was just pissing down with rain all the time. And I was like, what have I done in my life to get me to this point? I'm a 30-year-old, like, grown adult, and somehow I'm giving up all of my time for this this project. Um, and, yeah, like, it, so, I don't know, I think the power comes from sacrificing, basically, yeah. like doing something you don't want to do that's not enjoyable, that's not easy, um, and then getting, like, a reward for it that makes it all worth it, like, 100 times over. The work is necessary and difficult, not necessarily always fun. Yeah. I think the other thing, just to quickly try to explain why I think it's maybe perhaps a little unique here, is that I think everyone feels like they're part of a collective thing that's developing. The pol- Like, everyone's got input to the politics. It's not just, like, this kind of chain of command, like, oh, here's the line. I think everyone's feeling like they're feeding into it. So, it's they're part of the agency of the thing as well. And so, when we win, we really, like, when vol- volunteers feel like they are part, it's not just I just carried out tasks that were told to me. They feel quite invested in it because they've helped shape it. And I think that's something we need to keep up. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually, yeah, really important volunteer care. Like, when I think about pre-poll a lot of what i'm doing running it is making sure the volunteers feel useful are useful and are able to like articulate their concerns and how they think strategy should go like yeah the whole thing is bottom up rather than top down and that, i think the door dog debriefs play a big role yeah. in that yeah, as well usually like, that's what i was thinking of um, that's it's a real like, center point of it yeah because the like in the act of the debrief everyone's politics change mm-hmm. and a lot of our political messaging and like the things that we put on flyers all come out of that and volunteers are aware of that um like one of the things i remember one of the advanced trainings i ran um f- for like in one of our donut conversations it was like four people in the room it was like maddie and a few others and i just sat them down and um like opened up the swing letter format and just showed them the like 400 no, like it was like I think it's like thirty. 80. So it's like it was thirty. Thi- anyway, yeah, yeah it was. It was a lot. We, we wrote a lot of letters that people received <laughs> yeah. if we if they spoke to us. Like, like the yeah, and like I was just scrolling through and showing them all these letters and being like, yeah, I included that line because one of yous included that in the. And I just I thought it was a good exercise just to show them the feedback loop. And I remember them sitting there being like, oh my god, like oh that's a line that I use or mm. like. It's like, yeah, I included that because you told me about it. Yeah, and yeah. Um, that was a very, I, I felt like a very empowering moment. But it is, it speaks in the same way I feel like that the electorate and us came closer together. The campaign 
and its leadership and volunteers came together as well, like and helped change each other's politics. And um, it's a very it's a very powerful thing. It, it, it's a social organism. Like it yeah. is, it, it very much functions like it's greater than the sum of its parts. And out of it comes a much more remarkable and incredible and groundbreaking thing than any one individual would be able to do, which I suppose is the definition of an actual collective movement. Um, yeah, I think one thing we didn't mention is the fact that we had like, what, 30 volunteer door knocker leaders who yes. were actually like the ones running all mm. of these door knocks. And I think that goes... Um, yeah, back, there's a lot more to nuts and bolts of, that we could talk about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe no, we should just have a pure logistics um, organizing oh, cast at some point. Cast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but that's really you different. train them all, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, it's true, isn't it? Like, and and all of those people were leaders, and there were plenty more by the end of the campaign. To be honest, who could have stepped up? Mm. Um, we just ran out of months. We just ran out of door knocking <laughs> weekends. There'll be plenty more door knocking weekends where that came from. But and I think that's the thing: is just this collective thinking machine that I feel this movement is, represents is just this ability for everyone to be drawn into the orbit of collectively thinking through. Via door knocking is probably the central point, and those door knocking debriefs, but then extrapolating to all sorts of things is how we slowly, and I think it's way more, as someone who came through the trots, right, where like political thinking and education came as like, here is the book, you must read the book and then answer the questions about <laughs> politics. It's sort of like there's this proper organic education of our membership and the, and then that filters out into the, you know, uh, electorate and then it all is like Max was talking about, these kind of feedback loops that then bring this different parts together and it is... Um, it is a model that I think, you, uh, yeah, we're obviously um, very evangelical about, but it, uh, I don't apologize for that at all. It fucking rocks. It works. Yeah, it's, I, I think it's um, the, the, I feel like a lot of it, that sort of political education as well and the structures for it, not just the debriefs and not just the, like, the half-long trainings as well, but it's those, it's that there's a culture in the campaign that those incidental chats about, like things that work even at the pub and things like that. There's just a about the accords. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's it. But there's a there's a culture of like sharing political information with each other where there's where someone even if it's their fifth door knock and you're talking to someone who's on their eightieth, there might be something. Everyone accepts that might someone might actually have something novel to share, um, which is you know I think there's limits at the moment to our political education. Um, I don't think we've got fully the way there, but it's certainly a lot further than anyone else has got. Um, should we wrap up? Yeah, yeah I reckon. Because I have a story. <laughs> I want to say, like, I don't know about, like, feelings and winning, etc. It's all a bit rich for my blood. Mm. Um, but as I've been trying to, like, go to work in the post-win economy, um, something that's been really – it's it's weird. Um, like, making me happy and blowing my mind as I, like, drive around Griffith and go to work and talk to normal people. It's like I'm used – I knew that this would work eventually – but what made me really happy and blew my mind was the idea that we had won on all these booths because obviously I looked up every single booth results on the weekend like the regular person I am. Yes. And it's not just West End or Highgate Hill. It's, it's not Heights. places where we've been working. It's everywhere. It's like Camp Hill. It's Carina. It's Holland Park. Like we're winning everywhere. And it's just making me feel so like happy and warm to think like as you go to the random shops in Carindale or, you know, the um, as you're driving through Cooparoo places that are not Greens Heartland that somehow – enough like regular people all across the electorate voted for us it feels mm. like we're all in the organism together now like we haven't we've busted out of the heartland yeah. we're all in the organism together now it has to be the title <laughs> it of like this a, podcast. it sounds like a horror movie um 
I guess I figure most of our listeners are probably like aspiring Greens campaigners somewhere the weather isn't necessarily the most exciting campaign happening of all time. Mm. So part of winning also made me think about the last six or seven years of my life, which reminded me about the 2016 ele- um, federal election campaign in Griffith. Um, where times. it had happened just weeks after we had won Jonathan Shree's, uh um, council campaign, the first ever win we managed to get in Queensland. Uh, and so all the people who were really instrumental to that, like Max, were very tired um, and took the campaign off. It was like literally like a snap election campaign. There was like several weeks suddenly just after the federal, just after the council. It was fucking awful. And that had been my real first taste of an election campaign. And so I was like, well, all these important people are busy. I've, like, I've been to a few door knocks. So I'll just like, how hard can it be? And I ended up like running quote-unquote the field campaign for that election which amounted to like running a handful of door knocks but like we still one of our best beautiful old people felicity who is an incredible campaigner came from that um Mm. and there was just this i guess like if it's currently sucks um and there's only a handful of you that like might literally be the beginning. <laughs> like hold on to those people. They are beautiful and like just keep fucking working. Because and at that on that election day in 2016, uh, we staffing all of the 40 or so booths in Griffith was so hard that every single person was at a booth all day by themselves, which was like more or less hell and kind of lonely and made you think that maybe this thing was hopeless. And then out of pure coincidence. On Saturday, I was at the same booth as I was in 2016. <laughs> and, ex- and instead of being alone all day, just wondering about whether or not this was fucking worth it, I had, like, a team. I had this whole machine that spent, was entirely dedicated to winning votes, like three or four re- real twain door knockers and, like, another half dozen just beautiful members of society who wanted to be friendly to people. And in six short years, we took the vote from 10% to 36%. Yes. And like, fuck me. We're going to do that everywhere else. Like, wherever you are, we're going to fucking come for you. And we're going to win. <laughs> I think I think we can't That's top that, even from the bottom. Or you... Um. <laughs> you can also come for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and, is, and isn't that a beautiful... Alright, bye. Yeah, yeah. Alright, yeah. yeah. All See right. you, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. bye.